this is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. While some of the faces have changed, the House Republicans' game remains the same. Amass power. That's all they want. Amass power. Lie, cheat, and steal to get it. Even screw over your own party. Whatever it takes. Power is the only goal for them. So welcome to 2023, folks. We're off to one hell of a start. These 20 people are making the Republicans look like idiots. House Republicans now are on the verge of becoming a total clown show if they're not careful. Can we get a unanimous vote to go forward, or do we have to do a few rounds? Because without all three of us voting, to go, yes, we're not going to do the show. It's unbelievable what took place yesterday. How ordinary American is sitting home and saying, what the heck is wrong with these people? <laughs> this is the worst game of chicken ever. It's like, if you said game of chicken, you have a car going at the other, and you wait, it's not even that. It's not even that. It's just bad. This is an utter unmitigated disaster. Disaster for the Republicans. Just a simple disaster. For evidence that Trump has killed the Republican Party, look no further than the shenanigans that have taken place this week on the House floor. Republicans have been given two short years to prove themselves worthy of the majority, but they still can't seem to make it past the first two days without a series of unforced errors, starting off with Kevin McCarthy's ill-fated bid for the Speaker of the House. No person having received the majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname, a Speaker has not been elected. We have to come to coalition. Go right ahead, <laughs> Leader, are you going to stay in the race, Leader McCarthy? You're not yes, up. I'm not going anywhere. Are you sick? No, I just went. Um, uh, we, we did have an intense conference, and it's intense for a purpose. We have worked for a long time. I've been leader for four years. I came into this position, and we had less than 200 members. We are now sitting in the majority. We put forth to the American public a commitment to America. There's times we're going to have to argue with our own members if they're looking at for only positions for themselves, not for the country. For the last two months, we worked together as a whole conference to develop rules that empower all members. But we're not empowering certain members over others. Last night, I was presented the only way to have 218 votes if I provided certain members with certain positions, certain gavels, to take over the church committee, to have certain budgets. And they even came to the position where one, Matt Gates said, I don't care if we go to plurality and we elect Hakeem Jeffries and it hurts the new frontline members not to get reelected. Well, that's not about America. And I will always fight to put the American people first, not a few individuals that want something for themselves. So we may. Madam Clerk, I rise to nominate Kevin McCarthy for the position of Speaker of the House. The gentleman is recognized. The five Never Kevin votes blossomed into 20 by round three of voting on Tuesday. And by the end of Wednesday, Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries had consistently won the vote and was the only nominee to get close to the 218 votes needed to become Speaker. Democrats, in a rare moment of total solidarity, voted together six times over the past two days and didn't back down, not even a little. You know, I think what was important today was to send the message that we were united uh, behind uh, Hakeem Jeffries as um, the now minority leader uh, or as leader of the Democrats and that there would be no defections, that Democrats are here, uh, we're not going anywhere. And if they want to play ball, we're open to that. 
that's that's going to make a lot of people, I think, on one side of the aisle very happy and a lot of people on the other side of the aisle very concerned. Is it your sense that there is a plan that the Freedom Caucus has? I mean, there's a real question about who's driving, the, who's, who's running the operation here, who's driving the bus. Is it Kevin McCarthy or is it, you know, Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar and Matt Gates? Well, I think one of the central challenges here is that in this in Kevin McCarthy's speaker run within the Republican caucus, there was no number two. Uh, the Republican caucus did not really have a full-throated race for speaker. There was no challenger uh, in the last two months that has emerged, and I do believe that that is the central Republican problem. Uh, whether McCarthy pulls this through or not, the core concern here is who would ascend to that seat. I do not believe that Kevin McCarthy has the votes. I believe that uh, a lot of the opposition to him is very personal. I believe his leadership style uh, is incompatible with a lot of Republican members and certainly the Democratic caucus. And so I think that is the central question. If not him, then who? On MSNBC Tuesday evening, AOC explained her chatting up with radical Republicans like Paul Gosar and Matt Gates, saying that she was working the room in hopes that maybe Republicans would actually try and govern with Democrats and perhaps seek an equitable solution to the nation's problems. I mean, wouldn't that be a novel idea? Well, sometimes we have to do jobs that we don't really want to do. And sometimes we have to do jobs that we are called to do. And so my colleagues, I rise to nominate the most talented, hardest working member of the Republican conference who just gave a speech with more vision than we have ever heard from the alternative. I'm nominating Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is humble, perhaps today, humble to a fault. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who wants it so bad. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who has sold shares of themselves for more than a decade to get it. McCarthy may believe he's earned the position, but if his party doesn't, it ain't gonna happen. He has put himself and his naked ambition above the party, and certainly above the country, even telling the press after six consecutive losses that he's not going to back down. Well, it's Groundhog Day. The Freedom Caucus conservatives who aren't voting for McCarthy make up just 9% of the party, but are holding the entire House hostage as nothing will get done until the Speaker is chosen. We might as well be in the middle of a shutdown. As one Republican operative said, and I quote, it's a big black eye for Republicans. We come into the office and we can't govern or pick a speaker. It's an embarrassment and complete chaos. Rare agreement between President Biden and Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, both labeling the mutiny among the House Republicans as embarrassing. This morning, there is still no speaker of the House. McCarthy may become the most recent Trump-backed loser, though Trump has suddenly clammed up and won't say whether or not he still supports McCarthy. Lauren Boebert said on the floor Wednesday that Trump should call his boy McCarthy to concede. And let's face it, if Boebert's not afraid to take aim at Trump, his control is waning. Donald Trump hates a loser. 
and you are going against mm. Donald Trump. I mean, today you basically said, hey, Donald Look, Trump. Look, I love President you, Donald Trump, and I suggested that he call Kevin McCarthy and inform him that he does not have the votes and withdraw from the race. Uh, so I, I love President Trump, and no one's going to pit me against him. Um, Kevin McCarthy doesn't have this. I understand where the president is, is right now, uh, but history will show we're on the right side of this. Bobert then went on to nominate Byron Donalds of Florida. And he got the same 20 votes from the same insane few that had been mucking up the works from the beginning. Chair of the House Republican Conference, Elise Stefanik, sat close to Kevin, chewing the inside of her cheek, the only tell that she was maybe a little bit nervous. But popular wisdom says Steve Scalise will be tapped next to put his head on the chopping block. I mean, run for House Speaker. Congressman Buck, thanks for joining us. Um, you said something to Kevin McCarthy uh, about what needs to happen going forward. Tell us what you said. Well, I've had a number of conversations with Kevin and, and just basically told him that at some point this needs to break loose. Uh, he either needs to uh, make a deal that bring the uh, 19 or 20 over or uh, he needs to step aside. The term shit show is made for moments just like these because that's exactly what we've been seeing on the house floor for the last few days. A complete and total fucking shit show. Look, uh, today, is it, is it the day I wanted to have? No. And again, I'll say Trump is to blame for all of it. There wasn't a norm that he didn't fuck with or a convention that he didn't challenge. And now the hens have come to roost as someone's grandma would say at least. And if you can't get more than, let's say, 30 votes, will you follow your own advice uh, that you were asking Donald Trump and withdraw? There are certainly names that are be being floated around and hey, maybe I should nominate President Donald J. Trump tomorrow. And here's a little sidebar. What I hate is the Republicans, and Democrats too for that matter, wasting time, quote, talking to the American people. The campaigns are over, so shut the fuck up. All the American people want the House to do right now is to govern, not bullshit around the border crisis or try to kneecap Joe Biden. Just get to fucking work. We are looking for a willing partner to solve problems for the American people, not save the Republicans from their dysfunction. Off on the sidelines of this shit show is the House, is sad little George Santos, or whatever the fuck his name is. Because Santos is a fucking con man who managed to become an elected representative from New York. He was caught on camera Tuesday literally picking his nose and yawning. I mean, what a fucking gross animal. But his life jacket and his continued support for Kevin McCarthy as speaker is just ridiculous. The two need one another to stay alive. If Santos is recalled for his plethora of lies, things get even dicier for McCarthy. But let's be clear, Santos is a ticking time bomb. He's wanted in Brazil. Yes, you heard it right. He's wanted in the country of Brazil. For what? For fucking fraud. Apparently, in 2008, Santos was passing bad checks in Rio, and that case has now been reopened. I mean, for God's sakes, how a member of Congress could actually be extradited at any moment. Also, no one can verify where all his campaign financing even came from. But state and federal prosecutors are on it, so don't worry, Santos. They will. Because investigations into Santos's finances have already been opened. So it's a wait and see. But in my opinion, Santos is already toast. 
And for anyone following the Santos story, here is how he began his congressional career. Congressman-elect George Santos of New York, who flipped a Democratic district and is under investigation after making up huge parts of his resume, showed up at the Capitol for his first day of work. When he saw reporters staked outside his office, with his first reaction was to literally run the other way. He eventually did show back up, going inside briefly before heading to the House floor. Sir, are you going to vote for McCarthy today? Do you have any comment at all on the protests going on outside of your New York State Legislative Office? Any comment at all? Say to the voters of Long Island who say that they voted for you based on the resume they saw on your website. Sir, do you plan to resign? When was last time you spoke with GOP leadership? What is your legal name? What is your legal name? Veteran reporter Maggie Haberman is saying that the blame for Santos becoming elected while standing on a steaming pile of horse shit is due to the decline of local news. And that it wasn't until the New York Times came out with what the fuck reporting that Santos faced actual vetting. Now to be fair, there were questions raised by local reporters that were not heard over the loud din of 2022's contentious midterms. But a note to all of us whose sources for news have been reduced to Twitter or TikTok, Substacks and even YouTube. In real newspapers, they have to print facts and if what they printed turns out to be false, well, then they have to print a retraction. I mean, unless of course your name is Michael Cohen. But real newspapers, unlike a lot of cable news shows, and I'm looking at you, Tucker Carlson, have standards and ethics that they follow or risk being sued for defamation. One exception is the New York Post. And if you ever wonder who's the most powerful man in America is, I mean, look no further than Rupert Murdoch. Though I do have to say, the New York Post is definitely turning more left than they are far right. Here is the New York Post. It's up to the Justice Department to decide if what happened on January 6th with the president's a crime, but as a matter of principle, as a matter of character, Trump has proven himself unworthy to be this country's chief executive again. David Zerwick, these are two papers controlled by Rupert Murdoch, who also controls Fox News. We've seen this happening for a while. We've seen Rupert Murdoch trying to distance himself from Trump for a while. But I have not seen the New York Post up until now say literally Trump's unworthy of being president. Yeah, Brian, I was really impressed by the Post editorial. I mean, literally, as I read that line you yeah. just read, I almost wanted to cheer for that. So here's a year-end recap. Before 2022 was over, Trump's tax returns were finally released by the Ways and Means Committee. And while it wasn't a slam dunk immediately go to jail revelation, the door is now open and there will be repercussions. The least of which is further confirmation that Donald is an incredibly shitty businessman. Without residual support from his daddy's estate and voluminous bank loans, he'd be living in a box under a bridge. There are millions of pages to review in the six years of returns that were released, but here are the major revelations so far. I mean, it's fucking crazy. He paid absolutely fucking zero in federal taxes in 2020 and just $750 in the years 2016 and 2017. 
He sold a building in 2018 and earned over 24 million, but he paid 4% tax rather than the 13% that the rest of us would have paid. These are Trump's personal and business taxes from the years he ran for and served as president. Democrats defend the release as part of a probe into whether the IRS delayed auditing him. But in a video, Trump blasted the move as a political hit. Although these tax returns contain relatively little information and not information that almost anybody would understand, they're extremely complex. The radical Democrats' behavior is a shame upon the U.S. Congress. Trump's excuse for not sharing his taxes prior to entering office was that he was under audit. But truth is, he wasn't. But he sure as hell should have been. And finally, unlike every other modern president, he wasn't audited while in office. I mean, obviously somebody has to get to the bottom of that, please. But don't think for a minute that while in office, Trump didn't weaponize the IRS, both to attack his enemies and keep himself safe. Watchdogs are calling it an accident that both James Comey and Andrew McCabe, and if I may once again throw myself into it, thanks to Senator Dick Durbin, they suffered deep dive audits the same year that they crossed Trump. Now I suppose that that's possible, but anybody think about what are the odds? Well, let me give you the answer. The odds are one in 82 million. That's right, my friends, one in 82 million. Now I'm just saying, and imagine if you add me into it, it's probably, what, one in 150 million? In one instance in the Aerospace LLC, because remember these tax returns included some business entities, he claimed that he had made $42,965 in profit. Then on the same tax return in the same year, claimed that he had in expenses $42,965. The same accountant that CNN talked to said that it would be almost statistically impossible for those two numbers to be the exact same. But if you have those two numbers in your tax returns, then your tax bill is reduced, right? So that is another thing that potentially could be looked at. There are so many pages of documents, Abby, here. It's going to take a long time to pour over all this information. But those are just some initial findings. So for Trump, it will be death by a thousand cuts or just one big win for the prosecution in any one of the dozens of pending court cases against him. Either way, it's happening. I will tell you that our system is broken. I give to many people. Before this, before two months ago, I was a businessman. I give to everybody. When they call, I give. And you know what? When I need something from them, two years later, three years later, I call them. They are there for me. So and that's get? a broken system. As systems everywhere break down, airlines fall and a talented young athlete is nearly killed during a Monday night football game, we pray for the health and safety of everyone. But we also hope that mistakes of our recent past will be dealt with. What is happening now in the House is a hangover from the insurrection, or just the continuation of the insurrection. Because it hasn't been honestly dealt with by Republicans. That's the problem. Systems are broken, so now is the time to fix them. But let's build our future on facts and not expedient half-truths. Friday, January 6th is the anniversary of the insurrection, so let's honor it by continuing to reject the lies and stand for nothing but the truth. And now for the main event. 
We'd like to welcome for the first time to our show, Manda Moore. She is a writer and an activist based in the DC area, who most recently had an excellent article in Rolling Stone, which is just the beginning of what I believe will be a very bright future. So let's go now to my conversation with Amanda Moore. Okay, so Amanda, it's great to have you on the show. Now, I'm just going to jump right into it. I do this with all of my guests. I just jump straight into it. And I have to ask you this. What inspired you to embed with QAnon for a year? I mean, you lose your job, you then start hanging around with Proud Boys, neo-Nazis, you know, and blood and soil fascists. And then you just decide that this is fun. I think I'm going to lean into it. Tell, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I'm originally from the D.C. area, which probably uh, shaped a lot of who I am as a person. Um, so I've always had an interest in politics and um you know, I used to be a libertarian. I used to be very involved in the Libertarian Party. Um, and then I kind of moved away from that completely after uh, Michael Brown and Freddie Gray died and the Black Lives Matter marches started happening. Um, I moved more leftward, but I still follow the right. Um, and so I've been keeping an eye on it for years and years. And by the time, you know, the 2020 election happened, I my job was in live events, so it was gone. You know, I didn't really have a lot going on. And I just, you know, it was kind of like a, an accident. Everything I went to just kind of escalated and I just went to the next thing. And all of a sudden I was hanging out with neo-Nazis. <laughs> so. Okay. So a lot, a lot to unpack there, if you don't mind. So you're from oh, yeah. the DC area, which area in DC? Uh, so I originally grew up in Alexandria, right outside of, outside of the city. Got it. Because you don't really find a lot of neo-Nazi fascists hanging out in the D.C. area. I mean, I know that there are outskirts, right, out in the suburbs, but not real, um, you know, not really in the metropolitan areas, which um, you certainly grew up in. I mean, how did you even find them in the first place? So I was actually pretty careful to not hang around people that were from D.C. because, it. it I mean, you know... I went to high school here. I grew up here. Like, it could be very easy to figure me out. Um, and so most people I hung out with were from different places. So I went when Trump lost the election in 2020, there was a million MAGA march in D.C. Everybody who lived here who wasn't really plugged into the right was like, oh, it's a joke. A million MAGAs will never show up. Ten MAGAs will show up. But a whole bunch of people showed up. And I went. And it was terrible. And then I went to the next one. A podcast paid me to go record audio because they knew I was going to go regardless. And I was already here. And, and then, you know, for the third Million Mega March, I thought, oh, I'll go again. I'll try to sell the audio to somebody else. We'll see what happens. And that turned into January 6th. And so when I was there, I thought, oh, I'll go to CPAC in Florida. Um, and while I was at CPAC, somebody asked me to help with their grassroots organization um, that has ties to uh, members of hate groups. So that's that's how that happened. I, I met with a few people in this area, but it was just too risky because I did have a history of activism locally, so I didn't want to be exposing myself that way. Okay. <laughs> Still so much so much here to unpack. I'm, <laughs> I'm writing a whole book so, about it. I know <laughs> so much. Right, I'm sh and I'm sure... So at the end of the day, you start hanging out with Proud Boys, you start hanging out with these neo-Nazi fascists. Now, I'm sure that you grew up with 
people who were Jewish in the D.C. metropolitan area and clearly going to junior high, high school, college, you've learned about the Holocaust and so on, which, of course, they are Holocaust deniers. Can you tell me, like, what types of conversations that you engaged with with these folks that sort of didn't make you want to throw up all over them at the beginning and what pushed you into wanting to hang out with them? I want to be very clear that they're bad people. And there was never a time where I was like, oh, these are interesting folks that I want to hang out with or that I want to be around. Um, but I, you know, I would meet people. And if they did not seem important, I just wrote them off. You know, like I'm not trying, I was not trying to to meet like someone's grandma who is, you know, being extremely anti-Semitic, but with dog whistle, you know, like I'm not trying to deal with that. Like I was exclusively going for people who were organizers of things. And so I would meet people, I would look up who they were, and if they seemed worthwhile, I would continue speaking with them. So my motivation was always that I knew if I was nice to them, they would just keep saying things to me. So one of these guys I met who um, has worked uh, on congressional campaigns, when we first met at a Turning Point USA event, which is, you know, a mainstream event for, for college students, uh, he asked me, you know, what do you want for the future of America? And I was like, oh, no, because you never know how radicalized somebody is. And I didn't want to say something crazy, but I didn't want to also get written off. So I said, oh, you tell me what your version of the future America is. And he was like a friendlier Nazi Germany. So that's the kind of people I was dealing with. There was no, <laughs> there was never any um, anything super positive about them. My motivation was exclusively recording them. Right. So it was never you wanted to be a part of them because I was right. I was a little confused as I was doing some homework on you I saw there was a great Mother Jones article that was written by um, Ali Breland that's entitled, The Plan Was Simple, Infiltrate MAGA World and Tell Everyone What She Saw. Then she was found out. So your initial goal was always to infiltrate them, not to become a part of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got it. All right. Now that makes a lot more sense. Hence, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it almost seemed at some point in some of the writings about you that you were seeking them out. But then again, this is what they do, right? What they'll do is they'll claim that Amanda wanted to be a part of us. And when we didn't want her, then therefore, you know, she turned on us very similar in case to point to my story, where Donald, you know, wanted to say, oh, he did nothing for me. He was some low-level PR kind of a guy. I barely knew him. Right? You know, the same that he does with everybody. That's what, that's the, the message that these folks were trying to put out regarding you. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, too, because I'll always get... Um like every so often it'll cycle through and some new, especially as they come back on Twitter as Elon Musk reinstates these people. Some, you know, young Nazi who I never met will find out about me and, and be like, this is the ugliest woman I've ever seen. There's no one more hideous than her. She would never be able to do this. And then I'm like, oh, well, here's a text message from your buddy telling me how hot he thinks I am. And then also his secrets. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, <sighs> yeah, they always, they love to spin the narrative around completely. Right. Now, so let me get into this. So then you're recording these people, unbeknownst to them. And then I understand that 
what you discovered was, and I'm going to quote this, a chilling portrait of what the right looks like from the inside. Do me a favor, expand on that, right? Past the obvious, tell us what's so scary and crazy about these QAnon, neo-Nazi, fascist folks. So I'll start with QAnon and I'll say, you know, I would go to these events and I would be the youngest person there. So I'm, I'm 34 now, I guess I was 32 or 33 at the time um, that I was undercover. People there, you know, a lot of them would be like, you remind me of my daughter. My daughter is your age and she won't talk to me anymore. Um, And I would meet all these people who were just so brainwashed by these grifters and these liars. You know, they're they're breaking down in tears because someone's talking about how Democrats are, you know, child sex trafficking, you know, satanic rituals with all of these kids, which is obviously a lie. Um, And they're having, you know, breakdowns in public over this. And then on the other hand, they're saying things like my son is a doctor and he says that I'm killing people. So he doesn't want to talk to me until I get vaccinated or wear a mask in public. And, you know, it's just like it's very sad. It's very tragic how um, how these people who are so motivated to have positions of power or they're motivated by money or fame or, well, infamy, I guess, um, you know, the way that they're grifting these people and, and are just destroying them. And then you also, on the other hand, when I was with these fascists, they were closer to my age, either my age, a little older or a little younger. And we would openly talk about how the QAnon people were idiots, but we should recruit them into becoming Nazis or fascists because they're useful. You know, they're extra bodies. And so you see, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I, I got recruited into the group at CPAC, um, which is supposed to be a mainstream uh, event. And so you see this targeted, you know, campaign to kind of bring people into the fold, many of whom, especially the QAnon circles are already very isolated from their families and friends who are just tired of hearing that Joe Biden's not really the president, who are tired of hearing that COVID isn't real, you know? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, so, so let me just dig deeper into, I. you were a journalism major in college? Were you actually a, no. a journalist? Were you working for any publication at the time yeah. that you decided to do this? Or was this just an experiment that you thought of, you know, while sitting at home one afternoon and said, hey, you know what, this needs to be done and I'm going to be the one to do it? So I briefly attended University of Maryland, but I was not studying journalism. Um, but I have no degree in anything. I ran a blog for many years, um, especially during the time of like Freddie Gray um, being killed by the Baltimore police back in 2015. I was doing a lot of political writing, um, like left-leaning political writing at the time, but it was independent. I mean, writing's hard to break into. Um, you make a lot of money or you make no money. There's not really much uh, middle ground. So I owned a live events business. Once I realized what was happening and it wasn't just, oh, like, because I kind of thought like I can go to CPAC and record some audio and sell it to like whatever podcast can't go, like whatever left-leaning podcast can't go. Because the podcast that paid me to me. go to one of the rallies. Me. <laughs> you. <laughs> and um, I, that's what I thought I would do. But once I realized what was going on, you know, I was a communication with journalists. I knew journalists before going in. I knew a lot of QAnon um, like researchers before I went in. Um, and I tried to I tried to talk to different outlets and talk about the story and be like, hey, I can write stuff for you, um, you know, but we can't use my real name because I'm still undercover. And everybody said, no, that was too unethical. So they all said it's unethical, but maybe come back when you're done. <laughs> so it was just me. I funded everything myself. I, you know, 
there were journalists who knew I was doing, there were definitely researchers who knew what I was doing that I was, you know, giving information to, but, um, no outlet would touch me. Wow. Well, let me ask you this question then. So you were there on January 6th. Would you do me a favor, sort of like describe for my audience what you saw and how you actually felt being there? Because I too lived in DC. I lived there from 1984 to 88, around the time you were born. And I was um, working for Congressman Joe Moakley while I was attending American University uh, during my junior and my senior year, which I don't think you're even allowed to say junior and senior year anymore. I don't understand. I'm still trying to learn, you know, what you can and can't say. It's year three and four. I worked for Congressman Joe Moakley at the time, and I truly loved the Capitol. I found it to be like a museum, fascinating, magnificent as a structure. And then watching what I watched on television, as well as everybody that's listening to this podcast, watching and seeing these people breaking the windows, defiling, you know, um, the inner uh, sanctuary, uh, the rotunda area, and so on. For me, it was very moving, and it was obviously moving in a terrible way. It was heartbreaking, in fact, to see. What was your experience like? Um, So, for your listeners who do not know, D.C. is one of the most regulated places in this country. Um, Like, when I have clients, or when I had my business, my live events business, clients would always comment on, um, like, how... (laughs) how many rules there are about where you can walk. And even like I used to live um, behind the Supreme Court. So very close to the Capitol. And I go for my jogs and some days, you know, the Secret Service or whoever is decided you can't, the Capitol Police decided you can't run, you know, this way through the lawn today, even though you can every other day and then they scream at you. I mean, it's like very arbitrary rules. You can't do anything. And um, that was just completely like blown to hell on the six. It was very surreal. I got there too late to to hear anything that Trump said. My office is right next to the White House, so I kind of it was it was cold, <laughs> and I kind of stayed inside uh, in the early in the morning, and then I walked down, and it was just so packed. I mean, it was it was shoulder to shoulder. You could not move through anywhere. And when people decided to go down to the Capitol, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just by myself. Um, and my friend who who I was with a reporter from Mother Jones ultimately, but not the one who wrote the story about me. Um, and, and I couldn't even like my phone couldn't even work to find him. There are too many people. So I was just alone kind of wandering around. And then we talked about going to the Capitol. I mean, the whole crowd did because Trump said to go to the Capitol and people are like, does anybody know where the Capitol is? But when you're standing by the Washington Monument, you can see the Capitol. It's like a mile down the road. You can see it. So I'm like, oh, these people are stupid. You know, the Capitol's like right there. You can look at it. You know, maybe we're not really marching to the Capitol. Maybe nobody's going to, maybe nobody knows where it is. You know, maybe we're just hanging out here. I was wrong. And I actually went and put my gas mask back in my office because I don't want to carry it down because I thought it would be more dangerous to have my gas mask on me than it would be to, um, to just not have it. And because, you know, women, but my, what I learned at the other rallies was that ladies were not supposed to do anything, you know, um, that could be violent. Everywhere you went at the other two rallies, you know, Proud Boys would walk me to my car. If I went to Walgreens to buy Red Bull, Proud Boys would walk me to Walgreens. It was just overbearing. So, um, I, you know, I walked down and... Well, if anything, they're gentlemen. I mean, let's, right. let's be... <laughs> it appears right. that, they're, that they're really taking a playbook out of being a gentleman. 
Right. It's great. Cause it's like, they're the ones beating people up, but they're like, we have to protect you. And it's like from yourself, <laughs> like, what are you doing? So I got down to the Capitol and I, I was, I've been walking next to the QAnon shaman, but he's very annoying. So I like let him get ahead of me. And then, and then I walked down after him. So I was maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes behind him. By the time I got down there, you know, they're like trying to tear gas people, but the, it, it's like kind of misting back at them at the police. And people don't really understand what's going on around me. And there's like old ladies and little kids and they're all just marching forward. And every so often, Proud Boys would come the opposite way out of the Capitol. And they'd be like, back up, emergency, medical emergency. And obviously, they'd be leading someone out who'd been obviously tear gassed. And everybody's just like, yeah, good job. But it's like, why are we still marching forward? You know, <laughs> like you've got your like six-year-old daughter with you and you're walking with a cane. <laughs> like, I don't, why, why are you still going forward when you can see that people are coming out of this building tear gassed? And at some point, there were just so many people and the scaffolding was up for the inauguration and people were you know, starting to get up on it. And I was just like, I got to get out of this crowd because if anything goes wrong, if this tear gas starts to hit us and pe- these people have never been tear gassed in their lives, like I've been tear gassed, but they never have. They're going to panic. They're going to freak out. And um, through the walkway to the Capitol, as you get up to the steps, there's like a little uh, little wall, you know, it's like two feet tall, but there were people all along that too. And I just thought if I, if I have to go to the hospital because I get trampled at a Trump rally, that's so embarrassing. Like I can't, I can't explain that to people for the rest of my life. So I, I, I got out and got to the, um, the side and that's actually, I ran into two reporters from other Jones and and we were all together watching these people scale the wall, watching them. I mean, you know, watching the police do nothing. I mean, at one point, the cops asked me if I was going to keep walking forward, if I could just walk on the grass instead of on the sidewalk. That was the most instruction I got from a cop the whole day. And when we realized that the, the building had been broken into, you know, I got the notification on my phone. We had to walk away because we, we didn't have service. We had to keep going back and forth to get service. And the thing that we all three thought of was Miriam Carey who had a mental breakdown and tried to drive into the White House and then drove away and then was shot by the Secret Service with her child in the backseat. They just killed her. And that was all we could think about because here are all of these assholes just not stopping. Nobody's stopping them. Like, you know, and and it's like, I've been to riots before, but I've never been to one of D.C. like this. Um, I had never seen anything in D.C. Like that was very, it was very bizarre. Um, just because of how regulated the city usually is. Um, it, it was wildly tense. When I left, I had on a shirt and it said, Biden, not my president, because I didn't want to wear a Trump shirt. So I was like, this is like a compromise. I'm, you know, in the gear, but I'm not in a MAGA shirt. And I, I when I was walking back to my office in my car, I didn't really know. I kept taking my sweater on and off because I was like, I don't know what's more dangerous if a local person sees me in Trump gear because local people were pissed. Um, or if a Trump person sees me and thinks I'm a local. So you know, I kept trying to like gauge people if I would unzip or zip up my hoodie um, as I walked past them because I, I had to walk, you know, I had to trace my steps back. Um, but it was, I've never, it's, it's funny. I went, when I was at CPAC, I was with a reporter. I outed myself to him. And we went out for drinks uh, one evening at CPAC. And he was also January 6th. And he asked me, like, have you been to therapy for it? <laughs> because a lot of people <laughs> needed to go to therapy for it. And it's like, yeah, I get, you know, I get why 
people who feel that way. So there comes a point in time that your identity becomes revealed. Who actually found out that you were infiltrating them to do reporting on them? And then what was the repercussion, if any? So 4chan had been trying to figure me out. I had a, um, in a Twitter account I was using where I used the, there's a children's book series, Franklin the Turtle. And I was using that as my avatar. And my name is Frank. And then like my banner image was Frank Speech, Mike Lindell's little whatever he's doing. Um, and people thought I was a guy. And I actually did a couple of live streams for QAnon Anonymous, who I, I, I knew them prior, you know, to ever prior to the pandemic. And I'm like clearly a woman. And even people who would listen to live streams after a week or two would forget that I was a woman and call me a guy. And so it helped because 4chan was really thrown for a loop for several months. It definitely delayed them because they were convinced I was a dude. Um, and so that, that was beneficial. But, you know, I because I not intended to go undercover, because that had not been my initial goal, there were ways to trace me through my Twitter account ultimately, which they were able to do. So they put it up on 4chan. And then that made its way over to a website called Antipa Watch. Um, and that made its way into Telegram. And so there's these um, QAnon conferences I would attend. They were $1,000 a ticket. Um, and Where do these people have I, the money to pay $1,000 a ticket? CPAC is free. Yeah. So, well, CPAC, I paid 50 bucks. I had a student ticket. But yeah, QAnon. So I had a VIP ticket. So I think the regular tickets were 500 but I got VIP everything I went to because... I wanted access. I, didn't, I don't give a shit about, you know, hearing Mike Liddell give the same speech a hundred times. Um, yeah, it's wild. People, I mean, that one was like fancy, fancy, but some of these conferences would still be like 500 bucks or 250 bucks a ticket. And they'd be okay, so the there. VIP, So the VIP one for a grant. For a grant. <laughs> you can't make yeah. this shit up. Yeah. Right. And who, people would who bring was their kids. The, who would, yeah, who were the guest speakers that were there? Who who notable was there? Was Don <clears throat> Jr. there? Was Kimberly no. Gargoyle there? None of none no. of Eric He's, Trump, Laura Trump, none of the fucking Trumps. None Dear of the Trump, Trump, so these, Trump. Everywhere a grifting Trump, <laughs> Trump. Oh no, everywhere but QAnon John's events. I'll tell you that. So no, they um these were like QAnon, QAnon. So if you remember when um like there was a time where like Mike Lindell was at a conference or not Mike Lindell, uh, Michael Flynn was at a conference. He was like basically we should have a Q. Uh, we, we should have a coup. We should have a coup. We should have a coup. Like that, that was where I was. So Sidney Powell, like Mike Flynn, Mike Lindell, like all of those kinds of people. All would the be fucking rocket things. scientists. Lynn, yeah. Lynn Wood would be there. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Those are the jaw. And then, Doesn't you know. Lynn Wood's name sound like a porno star, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, Lynn Wood, with, you know, and Stormy Daniels. I don't know. Yeah. That's just, you know, we got to start the year. We got to start the new year off right. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can hear him. I can hear his voice in my head getting so mad about that. <laughs> it's not very Christian of you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, he, oh, God, he's such a, he's, he's, he's a real lunatic. Lynn Wood is crazy as shit. Um, but, yeah, so you feel this funny. But then there'd be, like, families sometimes. And there'd be these, like, you know, nine-year-old kids who are fucking miserable. And parents are like, we were going to go to Disney World, but said this is our annual vacation. It's like, what? Oh, my God. Like, your kids wanted to go to Disney World. Like, you should have taken your kids to Disney Why are they here? <laughs> what? Um, so, yeah. So, I, yes. So, we pay all this money to go all these stupid events. I don't remember <laughs> what I was saying. I'm sorry. 
I forget. So, I forget the so there they, so they, so they, they are. So there they are at this conference. I was curious to know which other notables were there, but you clearly <clears throat> already let us know. You know, yeah. the thing that always um, makes me nervous, and I've had on this show like David Pakman, um, Chris, uh, you know, Chris Van Dyke, and a handful of other folks that do things that you that you just did. Right, go undercover. Like David Pakman, you could probably see him on his Twitter. And the same with, you know, Chris Van Dyke. Well, Chris does it a little bit more like you did, um, you know, stealth. Whereas David will go wearing a MAGA hat and he'll ask a bunch of these right wing maggots, these fucking nut jobs, and ask them, who's your president? And they'll say, Donald Trump. And they'll say, yeah, but Joe Biden's in the White House. Uh, he goes, well, it's really not Joe Biden. It's a, a person that, you know, Donald put in there until he's... And they come up with, again, with this space laser shit and everything else in between. And I always say the same thing, especially to David, you know, because Chris is a... Um, he's a tougher looking guy, you know, um, bald with the long beard. He kind of looks like he could fit in except the fact that now they know exactly what he looks like. But David's out there with these groups at these carnivals, these rallies. And once they find out who you are, you become a target. Have you been targeted other than with their internet website? Do they have access to any of your information where they can find you? Have you received death threats? Have you notified the feds? Have you notified Secret Service, local police? Because, I mean, I get it. I get it all the time from people who are unhappy, especially after I'll go on MSNBC or CNN, or there'll be a big article written about me in regard to how Donald Trump's company just lost 17 counts. And they're like, it's your fucking fault. And, you know, when we find you, you just wait. You, you know, do you get that same sort of bullshit? Oh, yeah. Uh, my address is posted every day on Instagram sometimes. I mean, it comes in waves, you know, like you're saying. But, and of course, Instagram will take shit down. They don't give a fuck. Um, <clears throat> so that happens. I've been out at bars and I've had people send me photos of myself out at bars and be like, like this you. Um, I get, you know all kinds of threats a lot about a lot of stuff about my nose a lot of how i should save up all my shekels for a new nose um i, I yeah i get it all um i i i have an article coming out it's been such so long um kind of detailing a lot of what i did with specific like uh neo-nazis and i'm sure you know like i'm i'm just gonna leave the area for a little while when it comes out um because it's too much why do you think but that they, they're gonna target you Oh, yeah, I know they will. Um, I mean, I'm not, like, super worried for my safety, so much as I'm just worried about harassment. They, like, they, a guy, I went on one date with a guy, like, three or four years ago, and they, like, you know, interviewed him, and, you know, as though he knew me. We went out one time and then never talked again. Um, you know, they, like, they started messaging when I had a business still. They were messaging my clients. They were messaging people who work for me. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they're just assholes. Um, so... But, you know, whatever they say or do doesn't really matter because I have 150 hours of these people, uh, you know, secretly recorded. So there's not much they can do about that. But, yeah, I'll have this article out soon. And that's like something that both the um, outlet and myself had to take into consideration is the fact. That Where's it going to be, be published? Uh, I would rather not say while we're recording, but I'll tell you after. 
Fair enough. All right, you got it. So let me ask you this then. You found it impossible after a while to wear a mask to these like QAnon gatherings. I have a problem wearing the masks too. I've done it, but I have respiratory issues and I find breathing through the mask makes me dizzy, gives me a headache. Um, But there, because it was considered a political statement, but some of these rallies literally became super spreader events and a lot of people died. How could they continue to deny the virus? I'm sure you must have brought this up. How could they continue to deny the virus and the vaccines when they were giving it to one another and then ending up in the hospital and dying? Or does logic just not factor into how these fucking idiots think? I would meet people who almost died of COVID and they still would not get vaccinated or wear a mask. It was complex mental gymnastics going on in their minds. Um, so I, I was vaccinated in February and March of 2021 with Moderna. And then I got COVID. I got breakthrough COVID in July. Um, and so it had to be a super spreader event because if I got it and I was vaccinated, like obviously everybody else got it too, but nobody ever talked about it. Um, and then I went to another event like three weeks later, four weeks later after I was allowed to leave the house again. And that became a super spreader event. People did die. And I mean, I was looking at uh, Facebook because I I had a Facebook where I was friends with like these influencers and stuff. And they're like posting about how sick they are and how it's like a Chinese conspiracy and plot against them. And just like talking about like, I found the cure, you know, I put my sheets in the dryer and and then wrap myself in my warm sheets and I felt better for an hour. And it's like, man, you could just go get the free shot, you know, (laughs) like it's it's pretty simple. <laughs> it's not, it's not that hard. Um, there was one point where one of these other events I went to became a super spreader event and, and, and an influencer died and they were like, Oh, uh, somebody must've poisoned us with anthrax. That's what they uh, said. Anthrax. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure sh- I'm surprised it's, they didn't go so far as to then blame it on the Russians and say it was like Novchuk or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it's really so stupid. The people that are around them, Amazingly enough, there were some interviews that were done on cable news where people refused to get vaccinated and then they followed their progression or, you know, the digression, I should say, of their health while they were there in the emergency um, room and then the ICU and then ultimately to their death. And while on their deathbed, you know, um, some who uh, were not intubated, obviously the ones who were could not speak, but the ones who were not intubated would be like, I should have gotten the vaccine. And these are people who are far right um, ring, you know, far right wing conspiracy theorists about the vaccine, how it came about. And the more you would speak to them, because I remember David Pakman once saying that this is not new technology. It may be a new vaccine, but it's based off of um, RNA, and that's not a new um, method for which to, you know, trans, you know, transfer the vaccination. You know, I believe that that's uh, also how they um, administer polio through some uh, through something similar. But it's not brand new technology uh, or medicine. None of these people understand this none of them understand that you know science is really what created the vaccine but you know what let me ask it to you a different way 
Their Fuhrer, Donald, went so far as to make the claim that the only reason the vaccination occurred is because of him. And there is some truth to that, by the way. He did Project Warp Speed, right, where they went ahead and they dumped a ton of money into, into scientists who ended up coming up with the vaccination. So there is some form of truth. Of course, he didn't create the vaccine, but Project Warp Speed is what got us to where we are today. At least it's where it started. Why would their Fuhrer want to poison them as well? Yeah. Anybody and, ask I mean, him that them, question? A lot of them get mad about it, too. I mean, he got booed um, at, at something he was speaking at when he brought it up. I, I think it's been a real struggle. A lot of some of the influencers will be like, you know, this is a mistake that he's made and he, you know, has to like. He has to walk it back. Some of them will say, well, he has to say, I mean, it's the basic QAnon like uh, principle where it's like some of these things have to be done to like basically mix things up and, and keep them off our case, you know, keep keep the deep state, you know, th throw them off their tracks. And so they're very good at being like, oh, well, this is like one of those things where he had to say it, you know, the deep state made him do it. And it's like, well, and how powerful is he really if he's like bending the need of the deep state over you know, this poison that's going to kill everybody who gets him. So, I, I mean, they've really struggled, but it's like everything else, you know, just cognitive dissonance. And, you know, I have, uh, obviously, I, I, I mean, if you read the article, you know, but everybody listening doesn't know, I was raised evangelical. Um, you know, my my dad, his pastor um, hosted one of the QAnon events I was supposed to go to before I got doxxed. Um, and so, you know, this is something that I see like in my own family um, and like my sister <laughs> I really put her foot down. I was like, you know, you can't come to my house for Thanksgiving if you're not vaccinated. And so he eventually did it because um, the two of us kept pushing. But I mean, that Thanksgiving 2021 is a lot later than when the vaccines were available for 60 year old diabetic men. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, they just they just work it through in their minds. It's it's really truth is. <laughs> Truth is whatever you want it to be. No. <laughs> well, for Maybe them in their is. minds, but right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, so what you discovered is that a lot of these Q types are pretty young, like 30s well, and under. So my question would, to you is why? Well, I, I will say the Q people I hung out with were much older than me. Um, but the, 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 the like people who were like openly praising Hitler were my age. And they are targeting the QAnon people as a way to like, as extra bodies, like they want them. Um, but I did find who I gravitated towards within the fascist movement were people who were closer to my age. The QAnon stuff, I think that there probably is a bunch of people closer to my age, but they go to free events. Like they go to like the rallies, you know, I went, <clears throat> I went to one rally in California in Santa Monica. It was a QAnon event. And it was uh, save the children, you know, their 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 dog whistle, their code for for their stuff. And it was a lot of people my age, a lot of people, very young, um, bringing boom boxes and and you know singing and partying and and you know anti mask and pro QAnon and Infowars flags and T shirts everywhere. Um, and I don't know, I I think some of it. I mean, I I know why they're fascist, but I don't know why they're so into QAnon. I think some of it is like. Life really sucked during 2020 for everybody, not just me. <laughs> and um, I think people who were already kind of, 
questioning things or not really sure how they felt about the government response to the pandemic in terms of like thinking it was overreach, not thinking it was not enough. Um, I think, you know, they, a lot of them were kind of isolated from people that they probably knew in their regular lives. And when they start to go to these things where, you know, it's presented to you as like, we want to save the kids, like everybody, you know, nobody wants children to be sex trafficked. Um, I think it's presented in that way that really appeals to people. And it kind of just moves from there. And you have all this camaraderie. I mean, you know, like while other people were sitting at home, you know, or while my own city had banned, you know, uh, restaurants from having indoor indoor service at all, I was flying around the country uh, going to parties. And that's a lot more fun than it is to, to do nothing. And if what you're being told while you're allowed to do that is that, you know, this QAnon shit, um, I think it does make people more susceptible to believing it. Um, I would meet people who would, like, one example I talk about a lot is I was at some QAnon event in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, and after it was over, um, it was September of 2021. So this is like way after January 6th. And and this woman was like, Ashley Babbitt, who was killed at the Capitol on January 6th, she said, Ashley Babbitt is still alive. And everybody else that was there, we were all in the lobby of the hotel after the event was over. And everybody else was like, you're crazy. You know, that's not true. That's bullshit. But like two or three hours later, people were like, okay, maybe Ashley Babbitt was an actress. Maybe she's still alive. And I think it's... Um, you know, I, I I think I don't think the pandemic is like the whole reason, but I think that certainly social isolation played a huge role in people being being willing to to believe things they maybe wouldn't have believed five or six years ago. So I heard it was possibly because of the corn dogs and the funnel cakes that made so many of the younger kids show up to these rallies. I guess that must not be accurate. Listen, there have been funnel cakes. <laughs> I don't know. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> now, so you weren't in on that. But, well, let me ask you this question to, to get serious, because this whole thing is just so fucked up, in my opinion. And I'm, I try to make sense out of all of these younger folks who, I, to any folk, I mean, it, to me, it makes no sense at all why anybody would believe any of this shit. But why do you think that these groups are so obsessed with the sexualization of children and pedophilia? And, you know, how does the CRT, you know, the critical race theory, how does that figure into their fear mongering? Because look at what they're talking about from the Pizzagate all the way on. Oh, it's Democrats. You know, they're sex trafficking and they figured out how to live long and stay young by eating, you know, young children. I mean, this is this is it's so fucking stupid that even movies even stupid sci-fi movies aren't made about it. Yeah. You know, I heard this is, I'm going to combine these things. Um, in April, 2021, I was at a woman for America first event in Doral in Florida, Trump Doral. And um, I know it well. Uh, Robbie Starbucks wife landed Starbucks. Robbie was running for Congress in Tennessee. His wife landed used to be in Hollywood. And now she's just a QAnon. I mean, she's like off a rocker. And she said, CRT, Democrats want to teach your children critical race theory because it makes them more susceptible to being child sex trafficked. And I, my jaw dropped. And like, I heard a lot of crazy shit, but that really stands out to me because it's like, what are you talking about? You know, like how would critical race theory make your children more susceptible to being child sex trafficked? That doesn't even make any sense, right? Um, but they really, I mean, it's really just this, this indoctrination. Like, it's like, 
people are afraid of change. They're afraid of getting sick. They're afraid of getting vaccinated. You know, they're afraid of, of the idea of a pandemic. They're, you know, afraid to lose their social status, whatever status they think they have or actually have in society. Um, and it just, you know, <laughs> it, they, it's it's something to latch on to. I think, I think that there's, you know, certainly we do see some of these influencers who, who go on and on about, um, you know, Democrats, sex trafficking kids end up being people who uh, were, uh, you know, sexually abusing minors. Um, we do see that. And I think that plays into it. And I think it's a very, I also think it's a very sympathetic thing because it's kind of like a universal it doesn't really matter what your political background is or what any part of your background is. You don't want to see, you know, a child sexually abused. It's like something that is truly abhorrent within society across all social and economic lines. Um, and so I think it's, you know, I think it's a good, I think it's a really good recruitment tool if you can really convince people. Because it's, you know, I remember growing up, uh, I was always told that uh Bill Clinton was like demonic, you know, it was possible that he was going to be the antichrist and then Obama was going to be the antichrist. But like, if you could make your enemies just other world, otherworldly evil in a way that I think a lot of people do associate uh, child sex traffickers as being, um, that's great. It's a great marketing for you because you can really get people to kind of do whatever you want. Um, so I think, I think it's both projection and I think it's just, it's a good hook. You know, but throughout history, we've always had this belief that conspiracy theories and the people that ascribe to them are generally crazy. But the bigger problem that we have now is that there are all these political coalitions and groups that are built around them, including look at the number of QAnon followers that are now members of Congress. That's, to me, the scariest part, because they're the ones that continue to promote the bullshit, the lies, the fucking misinformation, disinformation, the malinformation about, about critical race theory. If you speak to most people in the street, they know that CRT, many or some do know that CRT stands for critical race theory, but they don't know what it is. They don't understand that it's a course that was taught in college. This isn't being, you know, promoted to eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, junior high school kids, or even high school kids, unless they're taking some sort of an advanced class. But this isn't to make them susceptible to being child sex trafficked or to be, you know, eaten or anything. I mean, it's the whole yeah. thing is crazy. But yet we have members of Congress that ascribe to this and continue to push it in their agendas. They continue, like when you see Marjorie Taylor Greene talking on the stump and you sit there and you wonder, come on, seriously? I mean, you know, you sound like a fucking lunatic standing on a street corner, right? But no, she yeah. manages to term after term. You know, she just manages to, you know, have her supporters and her supporters believe the same shit that she does and 
They move on. So let me ask you this then, because you've said that one of the activities that these groups are involved in is trolling less radical individuals of the Republican Party. What's the point in terrorizing rhinos? I mean, do they think that they're going to bring like the middle-leaning folks to the dark side with their ridiculous pressure campaigns? Because I read that they pressured moderates out of positions overseeing elections on, you know, on school boards. You know, what's their end game here? And what do you, what did you witness yourself? Yeah, well, our our buddy Lynn Wood was actually involved with that in South Carolina, um, in, in Greenville. I think that's probably one of the more prominent examples of this. You know, he was recruited to run um, for office in South Carolina by this guy named Presley Stutz, who got COVID out of super spreader event I was at. Now he's dead. But he killed a bunch of people before he died because he definitely kept people from getting vaccinated. But they had, you know, mainstream Republicans who had won positions of power within the local uh, GOP. And some of them were not. <laughs> I mean, some of them were stop the steal people and they still were mainstream in comparison. And they terrorized and, and bullied them into resigning and then uh, took over positions of power within the party. It's also happened in the college Republicans. A lot of the college Republicans clubs across this country have had that happen to them. And it's happened at the, the national level. Um, they've been re- they've been bullied and harassed out and replaced by these lunatics. And it is it's done because at first it's exposure. There's a lot of I know a lot of obscure conspiracy theories about the Holocaust. And there's two kinds of people who know these conspiracy theories, literal Nazis and people like me who are working to stop literal Nazis. And so if you can kind of plant the seeds of things in the public discourse and get people to do their own research, most people can't refute these conspiracy theories because they don't, not familiar with them. They've literally no idea what someone's talking about. Right? So a lot of it is planting these little seeds it's, you know, trying to get the power for yourself, which has been successful at the lower level over and over and over. And uh, it's it's just normalizing your beliefs when you say them outright. So things that you aren't planting the seeds for, not bizarre conspiracy theories that nobody knows about, but your actual positions, it's it's giving it, you know, life. If you if you what, what, is one, what is one of the thing what is one of the uh, things that they're saying regarding the Holocaust other than the fact that they they claim that it was staged like the moon landing. So, in March of 1933, there was a paper in the UK, and it said it had a what is essentially is a clickbait headline. You know, headlines are stupid. We all know this. Writers don't make headlines, right? And it said Judea declares war on Germany. And what the article is actually about is how a bunch of Jewish people throughout Europe have been like, hey, guys, let's not buy shit from Germany because obviously. And it wasn't an organized coalition. It wasn't a government. Politicians, you know, it was it was just like people. It was, a, it was like everybody on Twitter being like, don't buy a Tesla, you know? Um, and how that is interpreted now is these people look at it. It's a favorite, Nick Fuentes, uh, best friend of Kanye West. It's one of his favorite conspiracy theories. Um, and what they say is that, well, the Jews were literally declaring war on Germany. So the Jews actually declared war and Germany was acting in self-defense. And it's like, so, I mean, it's just, it's so stupid. It's like, how do you, you know, but in order, to, in order to declare, right. But isn't a logical response in order for Germany to be at war, they have to be at war with another country, 
right? You can't be at war with an individual, two individuals, or even 10,000. The United States is not at war with QAnon. We may be at war ideologically with what they stand for, but to be at war means that two militaries have to exist. Two structured governments have to exist that are, you know, um, opposed to one another and what they stand for. The fact that that doesn't exist in this case either. How do they refute something like that? So what they would say is that um, because the Jews control everything, they are like basically in effect a a government and power of their own. Um, And so that's how they refute it. The thing is, by the time that you're like believing this kind of stuff, you're so far off the deep end. I mean, there there was a guy in New Jersey. (laughs) There's a guy in New Jersey who wrote a book and it was like supposed to be a satire book. And it was like basically what we should do like to the Germans. And it it ended up getting into uh, Nazi hands, like the upper echelon. And they, you know, use it as propaganda saying like, look, see, see what the Jews want to do to us. And it, it was a satire book meant for like an American audience. It wasn't meant it wasn't meant for the Germans and it wasn't meant for Nazis. Uh, but they took it as literal. And um that, you know, that kind of like goes into this conspiracy. By the time you get to this point, by the time you're looking at these things, you're so far off the deep end. Like you're, yeah, I mean, you're just, you know, like. Yeah, you're deeply, you're, you're deeply indoctrinated. Yeah, you're deeply. Yeah. But you know, you know, what's an interesting point that I would bring up? Because there's so many of these far right groups that post these insane things that they're so proud of what they accomplished on January 6th, that it really must bother them that so many on the right actually are also in belief that it was Antifa who is to blame for January 6th. So they must then be upset that they can't take all the credit for their, you know, for their hard work and for their strategic planning, right? I mean, oh, they're so it, pissed. It's, I think it's got to be something that's, I mean, are they heroes? Are they martyrs? Are they fools? I mean, I, it's so hard to figure out in their own group what they're yeah. looked at. Yeah, it's so it's wildly. So um, the guys I was hanging out with, because they were like literal Nazis, they're like, yeah, it was us. It was great. It was awesome. It was Antifa wasn't there. And then it's like I meet other people, like the QAnon people, and they'll be like, it right. was a prayer circle. And we held hands and gave Bibles to the homeless people. But this is what I do it now that I have people come at me all the time. You know, I always say I'm like, first, where were you on January 6th? You know, if you're a right winger and you weren't at January 6th already weak, I don't want to hear about it. Like, I don't want to hear you talk about Trump to me now because you weren't willing to be here for him. Second, was Antifa the instigator January 6th? If you believe that, I think that's really sad. This is exactly what I say. I always say, I think it's really sad people put their lives on the line for what you believe in. And now you deny them? Pathetic. Don't even talk to me. I don't even engage with it anymore. And I think it's probably the most effective way of shutting them down because it forces them to kind of confront like, yeah, Antifa did what you wanted. Antifa tried to stop the vote. Like what? <laughs> you know, it's and it is really upsetting. I mean, we would talk about this a lot where it's like people would say not about not just about this, but also about the um, the vote. Like I, I was with the guys who would be like, obviously, Biden won the election. These people are fucking idiots, you know, and they would be like, if you think that Antifa stormed the Capitol, I was there. You're a sheep. 
you're a loser, you're pathetic, but then they're still nice to these people because it's like they want, you know, they want them to like come in and join. Um, well, they want their money. They needed them. Yeah, they need their yeah, money they and their they also need their bodies. That, and they need yeah. bodies, yeah. So let me yeah. ask you this. You spent about a year undercover with many of these people. Did you like any of these people in a genuine way? I mean, did you make any actual friends with any of these folks within the ranks of QAnon or these other far-right conspiracy groups, right? I mean, did you, did you become more empathetic to any of them? Maybe some of them had some sort of personal tragedy that took place in their life. Fuck them all. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wasn't friends. Like I said, I wasn't friends with people who were just along for the ride. I wasn't friends with the grifties. I was friends with the grifters. And like, I don't care what's happened to you in your life. Like if you're out there and you were like straight up trying to make the country an ethno state, fuck you. Like there's nothing redeeming about you. People were nice to me all the time. You know, and people, people, now that I'm out, people will come up to me or they'll DM me on Twitter and be like, oh, I, I went to a Trump rally because I was curious and I was surprised at how nice everybody is. And it's like, of course they're nice. They think you're on their side. <laughs> you know, like, of course they're nice to you, like, as long as they believe you. Um, and that's, you know, that's like what it is. People, I mean, Nazis were nice too. I mean, the Nazis didn't get to power because they were assholes 24-7, right? Like, they're, people are people and people are complex and they well, can Trump be nice. Believes and they can so, also be right? Right. Trump <laughs> believes so yeah. in Charlottesville. I mean, there's good people on both yeah. sides. Yeah. 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 Very fine people on both sides. And it's like, you know, you're, you're the waiter at your at the restaurant you go to, the bartender where you're a regular. I mean, you know, just because he's nice to you doesn't mean he's not a Nazi. Like your next door neighbor shovels your driveway for you. You know, it doesn't mean he's not a Nazi. Like, I mean, it's not, there's not a personality type. There's not, it's not something that makes people mean all of the time, but it is something that is an overriding principle of their entire lives. And, and it's, you know, the people I was with had no problem, you know, being kind to me, but then also like working to eradicate <laughs> the country of people that I love and also stripping me of my own rights, you know, as, as a woman. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm sure if I had been at lower levels, there would have been people that I would have felt bad about recording. I never felt bad about it. Don't give a shit. I, you know, I, my entire mission is the specific people that I knew. I, I want their lives disrupted. I want them no longer working with Congress. I want them to be publicly shamed. You know, I don't, I don't think there's going to ever be any like actual repercussions for people, but I think, you know, I want them socially. Well, no, 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 no. We're seeing, but we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of repercussions, right? For, well, we're seeing a lot of them people. going to prison, right? Oh, for your, right. Cause we're seeing a lot of people going to jail. A lot of them have legal issues. A lot of them yeah. have lost their jobs. They've gotten out. That's what Chris Van Dyke does. He outs them from their job. But you brought up Trump. And I want to ask you this because again, look, I worked for the guy for over a decade, you know, close to a decade and a half. And I understand the draw when I was going to work for Trump. At the time that I went to work for him, remember, he had the number one TV show, The Apprentice. He had Miss Universe. We were going around the country and the world looking for development um, opportunities for construction, real estate, uh, and so on. But I don't understand the draw to Trump from this far right side. He is everything opposite 
of what so many of them are. First of all, he was born with a platinum spoon in his mouth. I mean, he's rich. They're not. He's, you know, well, I mean, he's a loser. So were they. But he's a draft dodging, twice impeached, you know, guy who doesn't give two shits about anyone or anything other than himself. And yet... These are the people that are going to go ahead, risk their own lives, risk their freedom in order to promote something that this guy didn't even have the balls to go down to the Capitol himself, right? Uh, or wasn't permitted to, a he'll say, you know, that he wanted to, but they said that he can't. Now, it's also not like the guy had a lot of great ideas that were going to do <laughs> anything for them, but yet... This authoritarian nature of his somehow attracts them. I mean, I understand that many of them are sheep, but do they really want a dictator? Is that what this is about? Well, fascism isn't about a, you know, robust policy plan, right? It's about how do you feel? It's about how riled up can you get? You know, it's it's literally just running on emotions and gut and that's something he, he was really, really good at achieving. He was really good at getting people. He was a powerful person who said the stuff that they were thinking. And he said it in a way that related to them. And they they ran on emotion um, with just a common goal of, of hating people to their left. And that is, I mean, that's really what it takes, you know, if you want... <laughs> If you want that kind of power and something too, that some of them will say is, you know, if you're inside the system, you it's, you know, working inside the system. The problem with that is that when you get to the upper echelon and it's your time to overthrow the system, you know, you're probably comfortable and you don't want to, but Trump was willing to, you know, overthrow the system in their eyes because he was willing to say stuff that, you know, got him, you know, rightfully shunned from some of his social circles or whatever. Um, and and they they value that. And it's really just about how much, you know, like frothing, unbridled anger can you express against people to your left in a way that connects with a bunch of other people who are saying those same things quietly when no one's around. So then what's happening with the QAnon folks in general now? I mean, are they fading out? Are they going back underground? Are they, you know, more emboldened than ever before? Because based on all that they, you know, know now, you know, there's been a lot of disappointment. You know, you see these proud boys, you see these oath keepers, you see so many of these folks, you know, getting jail sentences and long ones too, like what happened with the folks that were going to kidnap uh, Governor Whitmer. I mean, yeah. you know, that's a pretty heavy sentence. Um, yeah. Do they still believe that there's the second coming of Trump? Yeah, that's the thing about a doomsday cult, right? Is that you? Yeah. Uh, if you don't walk away, you double down, and so a lot of them have doubled down. Though I think there's going to be a pretty big rift of you know people. Some people support DeSantis, and some people, you know, some people think you know Trump is is done. His time is done, and so I think there will be this division um, as we get closer to reasonable election time frame uh, debates and stuff. As people try to try to sort that out, um, but yeah, a lot of people, you know. They just, they, they're holding on to something that's just not there. Yeah, and I don't understand why it's him. Of all, of all the grifters that are out there, I don't get it. But you know, Amanda, the hour goes by real quick. I have just one last question. It's a personal question. You know, sure. obviously, concerned for your safety, 
as I had said before, because I understand what goes on. So how are you now, right? Because you've lived through COVID, through unemployment, through the January 6th insurrection, right? You have all of these scary and insane people that are trolling you and sending you these, I'm sure, horrible emails and tweets and stuff. What are you going to actually do now that you have all of this kind of in the background what are you going to do with all of the information and material that you gathered? Um, you're going to do. You're going to put it in a book. Is it going to be a docu? What's What's in Amanda's future? So in the past, I've done some writing and I've been in a documentary. Um, and I've done some like presentations within academia and to researchers and stuff like that. So like I said, I have this article coming out. It's going to be long. It's like six thousand words, which is it was originally oh, wow. thirteen thousand. It was originally thirteen thousand words. The editor was like, "No, we're not doing this." Um, but print journalism is quite slow, <laughs> so it's not out yet, but hopefully very soon. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, uh, to kind of to do another article somewhere else or with them uh, about some of the stuff that I cut. And then I'm writing a book, but it's a memoir. Um, so it's, you know, it's not really as newsy. Um, but I am, I'm hoping, you know, once, once the dam is, uh, opened or whatever, after this first article comes out, I'm hoping it'll be a little easier for me to get, um, get some of the rest of this out in print as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the big thing right now is the, um, and then I have a lot of video too. And I've kind of thought about maybe doing like a, a YouTube channel or something. I do, I have a TikTok and it's, you know, three minutes, obviously, as long as it can be. Um, but I thought about like maybe playing some of the video that I got, uh, especially some of these speeches. Cause I would record speeches. I couldn't record people when we were talking one-on-one -on -one, obviously, but um you know, showing the video and kind of like dismantling some of the the stuff because I think people don't really understand how deranged <laughs> some of these speeches are that I would go in here. Um, but yeah, that's that's my yeah, plan well, for now. I've, yeah, <laughs> uh, my heart goes out to you, but I look forward to reading that article. Um, maybe you do a blog, right? Or you know, maybe you do get lucky. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. you do get lucky, and as a result of this. Um, podcast and some of the other things that you'll be doing that you'll get picked up by an, um, a magazine or a newspaper that sees the importance of all the information that Amanda Moore has. So I want to thank you for joining us today and um, just stay safe. Stay safe is all I can say to you. <laughs> all right. You be well. Thanks again for joining us. And now for today's Maya Culpa. How are we supposed to measure a man anymore? Because it sure seems like a whole lot of people, and not just men, have gotten pretty far in life by being dishonest, by being fucking grifters and liars and cheats. What they have done, they have populated the American landscape since the beginning. But at almost no other time in our history have so many duplicitous individuals been rewarded by for basically just being bad. Not just rewarded, but lauded even respected. I mean, for example, like Trump with his taxes, he somehow convinced average Americans that he was smart for not paying taxes. Now, they still had to pay taxes, but Trump was immune. That was his reward for being a bad man that was good at gaming the system. I mean, they were poor, but if they had the grifter in chief in their corner, they were rich by proxy. Their feelings of victimization were confirmed by Trump. And Trump was living proof that life isn't fair. And like lemmings, they followed him off a cliff. 
Trump being an unchecked bad man divided our country. It nearly capsized our government. And now it's dividing the leadership of the Republican Party. Now I want you all to remember the old saying, and I quote, there is no loyalty amongst thieves. Republicans who trusted Trump, like Kevin McCarthy, they need to learn the hard way that it's true. On the other hand, there's President Biden. Now look, let me be very clear. President Biden's not perfect, but Biden has made a huge effort to bring the parties together. On Wednesday, he appeared with Mitch McConnell in Kentucky to discuss how they'd work together to make Build Back Better happen. Potholes, roads, and bridges aren't drama. They are infrastructure, which is in fact what our government should be good at. It's what government is actually all about. Not coup d'etat and paying porn stars to pull your mushroom pecker, but rather governing. That's the gig. I mean, you are elected and you're supposed to govern. Governing should not include trumping up bullshit charges against, say, Hunter Biden, against, let's say, Jim Comey, or Andrew McCabe, or Michael Cohen. That's drama. Now this week we saw the exit of several really good public servants who are in it for the American people and not the drama. So I hope that people like Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney are proud of the work that they've done on our behalf. But it was the drama and the lies that drove them away. Same with the Republican from Nebraska, Ben Sass. I think he is one of the good ones. I mean, he voted to impeach Trump for the January 6th insurrection, and what happened? He paid dearly for it. He said it was the tribalism that drove him out. Now, I imagine that it was also the death threats, but he wrote in a statement, and I quote, Tribalism is a hell of a drug, but our oath to the Constitution means we're constrained to the facts. The stupidity of tribalism has made politics primarily about partisan identities, not persuasion or policy. Sass then added, We are living in a disrupted age, and I believe that that's to be true. This is an age where a guy like Elon Musk can go from man of the year to the corrosive head twit in just 12 months time. Now as much money as he spent on Twitter, he lost in Tesla stock on Tuesday. I mean roughly 47 billion dollars down the fucking drain. And why? Because Elon was not content to be a genius creator of good things for humans, and he wanted fame and need, I mean seriously need I say as well drama? And I'll be damned if he didn't get it. Now I don't care that he's a conservative, I actually respect that. Or whatever he wants to claim that he is. But he says that he hates pronouns. They, them, is sometimes it's, for him, it's tough to remember. And we're all just figuring it out. But if my kid was a they, I'd make it my business to figure that shit out and real quick. They deserve that much from their father. And I'd also shut the fuck up on social media and stop maligning transgendered people if my kid was a they. When I measure what makes a good man, I usually factor in the ability to love your children no matter what. Fatherhood, like governing, it takes a certain amount of patience and a whole lot of selflessness. You put your kids' needs before your own, same if you want to be any kind of a decent political leader. You put country first. That's the gig. And that's how you will be measured by history. Were you honest? Were you fair? Did you lead with an even hand? Did you put your country first? 
As we head into a new session of Congress and what I pray will be a better era for Americans in general, these are the questions that I hope will shape our future. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my-